So take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We will pray and we'll ask the Lord to open our hearts. And again, I just, I pray that what we will be looking at will be something where we can remind each other, help each other, uh, and just, just stand with each other. I was reminded today, again, of the need for praying for one another and just provoking one another. And when, when we use that word provoke, sometimes we don't think of it as something good, but it's just, it's a prodding. It's, hey, brother, let's, let's not give up. Let's not give up. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so thankful for these folks that have come out tonight. I pray that you would bless your word. Lord, help us to understand the Apostle Paul as he is seeking to be an encouragement to these dear folks at Corinth. Lord, speak to us, I pray. Help us to be an encouragement to others. I pray in Christ's name, amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. The title of the message tonight is The Battle of Consistency. The Battle of Consistency. Verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in, an in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And then he goes on, from the middle of verse 4 through verse 10, listing several aspects of where to be consistent. I'm not going to cover that now. Actually, we're just going to be able to get through the first three verses. Now, Brother Whiteside was dealing with this somewhat Wednesday night, and we dealt with it as more, this morning as well that if there's one thing that we wind up having a fit with, it's our flesh. If we are serious about living Christ, getting into the Scripture, we know that we have to do what the Apostle Paul said. We have to die daily. We have to keep our body under, again, as he said. And it's not easy at times when all of a sudden you are driving and somebody cuts in front of you or you're in a situation. I'll never forget one time when I was at the Capitol here. This, it took place in my own assemblyman's office where all of a sudden his chief of staff literally was in my face and attacking me on the grounds of my faith versus his faith. It startled me. And next thing I knew, I just, I, I, it, I, I got outside. Somehow I, I wound up outside the door slam, 
And meanwhile, my assemblyman is over to the side saying, I'm with him, I'm with him, I'm with him. I got out in the hallway, and I was angry. Oh, was I angry. And I had to just start walking, because I had to just bring it down. Because if there was one thing I wanted to do, I wanted to go back through that door. And I wanted to wax eloquent. And when I, you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm given over to it, somehow there are words that just flow. I'm not talking about cussing anybody out. I'm talking about just absolutely letting them have it verbally. But I didn't do it. Did I want to? Yes. Did I? No. I wanted to be consistent. And there are some windows that are opened here. Now, I do not want to be alone. How many of you have ever at any time recently been given over to angry outburst? Okay, I think some of you are lying, quite honestly. Any angry outbursts on that? Okay. Of course, Peter, you never feel any pressure in the, in the thing that you're in, do you? Never, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not, not at all. So, Roger brought us to Romans 6, and I, we touched on this this morning as well. I want to read it again. Because, excuse me, Rome, not Romans 6, but Romans 7. Because this, this really, I mean, it, it speaks volumes when it comes to our Christian walk and what we wind up dealing with. Now, I will not tire of saying this over and over again. Because we need to be reminded. I love Romans 6, 7, and 8. But like a commentator, and I believe, I, I, I might be wrong, I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, it could have been somebody else, but I believe it was him that said this. Listen, bottom line, when you study, Romans 6 is the mechanics of the Spirit-filled life. The mechanics. Romans 8 is the dynamics because the Holy Spirit thrives in that chapter. Romans 7 is the monkey wrench. Flesh. So look at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth. That word there literally simply mean, means lives at home. Dwelleth no good thing. For to will or to determine, for to will is present with me. But how to perform? The Greek word there literally means work hard to accomplish. We'll stop and say, okay, I'm going to make myself do something. Huh? Is it working? Probably not. How to perform that which is good, I find not. Not the way the Lord wants it. For the good that I would, or I, I, I choose to do, you know, it's good, I see it, the Lord has taught me. I do not, but the evil which I would not, that do I. And by the way, he was talking about something, you know, repeatedly. You know, I, I, I mess up, here I am, this and that. Now, again, this is a man that is seeking to do the right thing in the wrong way. He's, he's seeking to do it in the flesh. Look at verse 20. 
Now, if I do that which I would not, or I choose not to do, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, remember, we were talking about that this morning. We're talking, we were talking about the, 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 what's the word? This item, this thing called sin, it was personified. It's something that is in us and it's working on us. It's the way this is treated. I want to get out. I, you know, he can't control me is what sin is saying. He can't. And by the way, we can't. We can't. Let's keep going. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. Now, he's not talking about the Old Testament here. That word law means, a, again, a force or influence impelling to action. It's kind of like the same way that when we were reading about sin this morning, it is a, it's an influence impelling to action. But we also have that the Holy Spirit in us. So here we go. Now watch this. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's the influence. For I delight in the law of God, the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, after the inward man. But I see another law. I see another one in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in captivity of the law, the influence of sin, which is in my members. And then Brother Whiteside brought us to this, O wretched man, who shall deliver me? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Remember, they would take for a murderer, they would take the body of the person that they murdered and tie them face to face up against the body as that body would rot, the maggots from the dead body would come over on the live body, the murderer. That's what he's talking about here. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It was in the culture there. They knew what he was talking about. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The word wretched there means exhausted through hard labor. See, here we are. We're talking about consistency. We want to be consistent. If we're not, we're going to risk losing our testimony. And I have done that before. I don't like that when that happens. So what do we find out? Again, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all that Christ has given in us, and that's because, and so therefore we see here in Romans 8 the thriving of the Holy Spirit. So here's Paul. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He doesn't live Romans 7 anymore. He lives Romans 8. I believe in Romans, that in Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul was taking us through a journey that he went through. He was, he was giving us 
his testimony. I love that. I love that. When he was, when he was open enough to say, hey, this is where I was messing up. So in writing again the people in Corinth, I want us to see three simple things. We've talked before about the motivations of Paul. You can find these as his motivations, as it were. I've already preached before on three motivations. These are three more, if you will. But they're unique, and they are worth looking at. First of all, look at verse 1. We're talking about the grace of God. Be careful of God's grace. Be careful with it. We then, as workers together with him, if Paul was here, this is what he'd be saying to us. You know, we're we're working together in Christ. Beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, stop and consider this. Again, going back to 1 Corinthians, Paul said in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. He'd be saying, hey, listen, Faith Baptist, let's stop and think about this. The Lord is at work in us every day. What he is doing is so very important. Now, again, his grace is sufficient. We think of this, for by grace are you saved. This unmerited favor, I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to realize so much more just how much it was showering down on us. The gifts of God. The grace of God. I believe that we don't completely understand it. I see it in my life. We don't completely understand it because we're not partaking of it all that much. How much, really, in some places, how much do we not give over to prayer and instead we just simply decide, I think I'll do this. Did we ask God? No, I just, you know, this, this this looks right. I'm gonna go in this direction. But when something is really critical, Lord, what would you have us do? I, I, I've, I've thought about that recently, and I've just kind of, I'm trying to get into the habit of even in the little most in the most minute thing, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what about this? Lord, what about that? I mean, that could keep me from some things as looking back. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I wish I would have heard the Lord a little bit more. There is a, how many of you have ever heard of David Livingston? Okay, what was David Livingston? What's that? He was a missionary doctor. But do you know he first sought to be a preacher? This is really interesting. He got up, he prepared a message He put everything he could. I mean, he just studied and he worked hard and he got behind the pulpit and he opened his Bible and he got out his notes and he crashed and burned. It just, he just, there's a Greek term for it. And I'm sorry, brother, he petered out. 
And, and he realized it just wasn't working. He closed up his Bible. He closed up his notes. He, abol- he apologized to the people. And he walked out of the pulpit. But there was somebody there that went up later on and talked to him. His name was Robert Moffat. And Robert Moffat came to him and said, Brother, listen, God has gifted you. Have you ever thought about being a doctor? Why don't you take medical school? And now when people think of Africa from years gone by, they think of Dr. Livingston, I presume. Because somebody encouraged him to go another direction and God's grace was sufficient. I think I've told, I might have told this recently, in fact. I remember when we first came here, there was a young man who had planted a church through the same guy that introduced me to this church. But for some reason, the church just wasn't taking off. It was difficult. He was in a tough place. It was a tough situation. And the man that had introduced me to the church here was talking to him and said, listen, why don't we just fold it up and, you know, you go back, regroup, et cetera, et cetera. So I remember I met with Eric Chapman. And he showed me the place where he was pastoring. His people came to this church. He went back to Pensacola and the rest is history. Look at what God has done through Eric Chapman in Central Africa, Moldova. I mean, it's amazing. We get the letters, and the young people are being brought to Christ by the score. People are being taught. They're being, you know, they've got the schools and stuff. It's amazing. Ain't God good? So when it comes to the grace of God, now there's a twofold aspect of this. We would tell people, be careful when it comes to the grace of God, when it comes to salvation. Be careful about this. But secondly, when it comes to the grace of God, for the believer, the person has gotten saved, hey, Do this. Understand what God is giving you. Use the grace for his glory. I haven't always done that. I bet I'm looking at some people that have done the very same thing. Here is something very precious. It's called God's grace. He gives it abundantly. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So you know what? We can do it. We can be consistent. Now, have we always been? I have this, I, I, I have this thing that my wife has helped me obtain. Hard-headedness. 
I have to blame her for it because surely it isn't my fault. Boy, am I going to hear about this tonight. But you know, stop and consider that everything that God, everything that God has given us, let, let's, let's, be, let's be careful with it. Let's be careful with it. There was, a, there was a missionary by the name of George Attlee. He was with the Central African Mission. He was out trying to reach people, and again, through this mission, as he was going through the, the bush, he had a Winchester rifle with him fully loaded. And what the word came back to, the, the, the word that came back and the people that investigated discovered is this, that this man, George, came across some of those that he was seeking to reach. He's got a rifle fully loaded, 10 shots, they don't, but they do have weapons. But that Winchester rifle, no problem. They came and they were threatening him. And they wanted to attack him. He had a choice, apparently. I either pull the trigger and lose the ministry, or I just let them do what they do. And that's exactly what he did. When they found his body, that rifle was fully loaded. And the testimony was that he would not defend himself. You know, that's courage. That's really something. But again, it's not bringing anything on the grace of God. Not only that, we need to be careful with this. Look at verse 2. We think about time. Brother Whiteside was talking about getting older. It's amazing how we think in time. This morning I'm preaching and I'm, I'm getting ready to get into my points. And I looked up at the clock and I went, ah! it was 10 till and I hadn't even gotten into my three major points. I had to move fast. There was something I left out of the message this morning that I didn't want to leave out. But I had to because I didn't, and even then, you know, Brother Whiteside telling me, yeah, you're preaching as long as I am now. You know, went to almost 12.30. Anyway, we need to be careful of God's time. Look at verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and, the day, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now we have heard from Paul, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I am glad you have taken the time, and I mean this with all my heart. I am so glad that you have taken the time to be the local church and be here and, 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 and listen to the word of God again. We've lost some things in our culture, haven't we? We've lost some commitment. 
we've lost some consistency. Now, setting aside other people, we just think that this is what we need to do. So when it comes to time, we need to make sure we are redeeming the time. Paul has said, don't receive the grace of God in vain. He's now saying, listen, when it comes to time and salvation, time in service, hey, we have to be careful. Isaiah 55, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. When it comes to time and our salvation, and time and our walk. Hey, seek the Lord while he may be found. Lord, help me. Do this. Lord, please. There is a, there, there's a well-known story, and probably when I begin to tell it, all of you are immediately going to jump and you go, yeah, but I've, I've heard this, and it is true. But you talk about time. Remember the story of D.L. Moody on the 8th of October, 1871, he's preaching in the city of Chicago. He's tired. He gives the gospel, but he doesn't give an invitation. Why? Because he's tired, working hard. And he tells the people this. Now listen, I've given you the gospel. I'm going to give you a week to think about it. Come back and I'll tell you how to be saved. But it's reported that while he was even finishing that and they got up and they were singing, the, the, the noise of the firefighters was already heard in the streets of Chicago. The, Chicago, the great Chicago fire had already started. And it's estimated that hundreds of people lost their lives, including people that were in that meeting, and that over 100,000 people were homeless before it was all done. And D.L. Moody rued the day he said, I would give my right arm if I could get those people back and give the gospel then. Time is important. Number three, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. You see, Paul was concerned about consistency, being careful. His caution was that we live in such a way no one stumbles because of our inconsistency, our carnality, or even our hypocrisy. Go back, if you would, to Romans again, and this time go to Romans chapter 2. Now, true enough, he's writing to people, to the Jews, but also everybody is open to this. He said, thou therefore, verse 21, excuse me, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? 
Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Now we can take that and we can take it, go back if you would please to 2 Corinthians 6. We can take it as a warning. Hey, you know something? We, we've, we've got to be careful here. We've got to understand that people are watching. Again, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Giving no offense. That, that word that translates no, it, it's a strong term. It's no, not at all. Uh-uh, no, nothing. No, don't, not anything. It's followed by another strong term, which means, excuse me, not anything. So he is saying, look, no offense, don't make any room for it. It's not worth it. The word offense, the word offense comes from a Greek word which means to do something which causes others to stumble, leads them into error, leads them into sin. Bottom line, it's just stumbling block, stumbling block. Paul, when he wrote again in Rome to the Romans in chapter 14, he said, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I've been reminded of that recently. You know, you've got to be careful. The Bible says on a multitude of words, wanteth not sin. Well, what do you use when you're in the pulpit? A multitude of words. Lord, put a guard at my mouth. I've got to be careful in what I say. But you know what? We've got to be careful in what we say. Period. Amen? Or, or actions or whatever. I was going to use an illustration. It's nobody that you, you all know, but I'll just, I'll leave it, I'll leave it behind. But again, Paul was very, very concerned about this. It's amazing. You get into this subject and you start searching out what Paul says. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I can't imagine, I can't imagine, and, you know, Lord help. I mean, we can sin, but then we can get right with God. But to just walk away from it, or just to, you know, to be careless, careless as we live and not do anything about it. You know, how many of you have ever read of David Brainerd? You, you've, read his, you've read his stuff. David Brainerd, I mean, an incredible man of God. 
an incredible uh, witness to the American Indian. But I had never read this. Till I came across this, I had never read this about David Brainerd until I came to this. And this is stunning. Here's a man who has given his life to be a missionary to the American Indian. He stopped at a particular place where he desired to give these Indians the gospel. He was going to tell them about Christianity. He was not the first Christian to come to this place. This is how the Indians responded when they had David Brainerd come and seek to tell them about Christ and the gospel. Quote, Why should you desire the Indians to become Christians, seeing that the Christians are so much worse than the Indians? The Christians lie, steal, and drink worse than the Indians. They first taught the Indians to be drunk. They steal so great a degree that their rulers are obliged to hang them for it. In other words, the criminal justice system, hang them because they, now we know, we look and go, well, these people really aren't Christians. But this is, there were those that presented themselves as Christians, but this is what was happening. They still, okay. And even that is not enough to deter them from this practice. We will not consent to become Christians lest we should be as bad as they. We will live as our fathers lived and go where our fathers are when we die. Now that's sickening. But you know something? That kind of thing has happened time and again when Christians wind up casting aside the need for testimony the need for consistency. Now, I'll tell you what. A thought that comes into my mind on this is a thought from when I was a teenager and I was challenged with this. Oh man, but what happens if I blow it? Well, the answer is this. We don't have to. If we do, we can get right with God and take care of, as much as we can, the testimony that was lost. But if we haven't, praise God, let's make sure, like he said in verse 1, we do not receive the grace of God in vain. We're consistent. We're careful. So what happens here is how Paul has encouraged the believers. In verse 4, he says, but in all things are proving ourselves as the ministers of God. And then he goes on and makes a list in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, and on and on and on. Lord willing, I had to split this. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, it was too much. But next time when we gather, we're going to take a look at what was important to Paul when it comes to living consistent. I believe that Paul looked at this 
and all this that he was listing. And this was Christ to him. Christ was every bit of this. And his long-suffering, his kindness, the word of truth, the power of God in all things, that was Christ. We're going to take a look at that. But bottom line right now, I believe that we need to renew ourselves to the fear of God. Lord, help. We're going out this week. We're trusting you to help us. We oftentimes will fail. Lord, help us not to fail. We need your grace. We are thankful that we don't have to pray for it. You give it to us daily. May we not receive the grace of God in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I'm so thankful that these folks have come. Lord, I'm so thankful that by your grace, we need not fear. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, like we saw this morning. Lord, I pray that through that grace, we would be consistent, growing, understanding that we have so much ground to cover when it comes to growing in that grace. But we do that. And we pray this in the name of our Savior that we rejoice is with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.